Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Why don't we stand? Anybody excited to be in church this morning? Amen. I'm excited. I, I feel a couple things before I open this up and uh, pray again over the over the service. Uh, one is just a great time with the uh, with the couples uh, yesterday, fellowshipping, just enjoying our time together. Uh, you know how the enemy is. So in the morning, me and my wife kind of got into it a little bit. Can I be honest this morning? And it, it's so funny because we got into it over Niles' soccer game. It's like, of all things to be arguing about, I have, I have issues. Some, don't try to escape, Mary. Stay in here, girl. Stay in here. No, stay in here at least till we, till we pray, girl. I'm trying to apologize. <laughs> so we got into it because Niall had this soccer game, and it's the last game. You know, like most dads, I'm the coach. I'm like, you better ball out. And he wasn't playing very good up until halftime. And then, you know, we had to do, to do snacks for the last day or whatnot. And uh, so I go, and it's halftime, and Mary has already handed out the snacks. And I'm like, babe, that's not how it works in sports. Like, you wait till the end of the game, you give them their snacks. And then she gave me that look like, who are you to tell me how to give out snacks and when to give out snacks? <laughs> so we decided not to talk to each other for the whole afternoon, knowing that it was date night and couples night out. And uh, eventually, this is a good testimony. Because after the game, the kids went off with my in-laws. I stayed downstairs, took a nap. She went upstairs, took a nap. We woke up and got ready to go to couples night out. We just gave each other that look like, I love you. And she, she gave me the look like, don't be an idiot and fight with me over snacks. And I gave her the look like, thank God I have a graceful wife and so happy. And those pictures were real. We weren't faking it. You know, We were actually able to get over our drama, which wasn't that big of a deal, to be able to go out with these couples and really enjoy ourselves, really have a good night together. And then uh, to hear what God has been doing in the church, what God is doing in the youth, the, the youth taking off, um, just God is up to something right now. And, and what I felt yesterday, even between my wife and I, is if we don't get in the way, God will move. If we don't make it a point to do stupid things, God will move. If we allow God to do what he wants to do, God will move. You know, Gary talked about the app and, and, and sharing the message, listening to yourself listening to them for yourselves. I would tell you this if you went to some other church, this happens to be your church, so, so praise God. I think in this particular season, what God is doing, if we can share that with other people and get them into this place, I believe that God will touch their lives. You know, it's good for us to be here, but like he said, it's about the loss, right? I don't know about all of you, but I'm already saved. I can't get any more saved, so I'm looking for the loss so that they could be saved. Amen. Let's come and be filled. Let's come and be encouraged. But let's remember those that don't know the Lord at all during this season. It's, it's the Holy Day season, literally. And I believe that people are more open to coming into the house of God now than they are in other times of the year. So take advantage of that. Amen. Let's get our focus off of ourselves a little bit and put the focus on the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your house this morning, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness for us, Lord God. Every single day, we think thoughts, Lord. We do things, Lord. We, we behave in a way that doesn't always glorify you for who you are and what you've done in our lives, Lord. There's been a ton of change. There's been a ton of transformation, Lord. Healing and regeneration in each and every life here in this place, Lord God. But there's more that you want to do, Lord. Let us be a witness in this world. Let us be a light in the darkness, Father God. Use us to call those who are dead into life, Lord God. God. Those who are in the darkness into the light, Lord God. In this season, Lord, we believe that there's something that you want to do. We know that you have gifts for us, Lord God. We know that we are going to be with family and be with friends, Lord, and breaking bread and having meals uh, and having gifts and all those types of things, Lord God. But we're reminded, Lord, by our brother this morning, Gary, Lord, that there's uh, a perfect gift that you gave that some have never even heard of. 
never received, Lord God. They're still carrying their burdens. They're still carrying the weight of their sin, Lord God. Uh, and we know the truth, and we have the key, Lord. Let us open those doors for them, Lord God. Let us share that truth, Lord, and uh, give us the honor, Lord, to be able to see you move in more lives during this season, Lord. We lift up every one of our, our blood relatives, our family and friends, Father God, our co-workers, Lord, those who we've lost touch with uh, within our own families during this season, Lord. We pray that you would put them onto our hearts. You say that the prayers of the righteous availeth much, Lord. We want to lift them up to you this very morning, Lord God, that you would be able to save them, Lord, that we would be able to rejoice and spend eternity with them, Lord. Have your way over this, ser uh, this series, Lord God. Have your way over this message, each and every one of us who are here, our children who are upstairs, Lord. We want to see more of you as we sang this morning, Lord. Fill us up. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. All right. Go ahead. Grab a seat. As we said, we're in the second week of our, our series, The Holy Days Season. It's not the holiday season. It's the holy days. Uh, and one of our scriptures that we started with, I'm going to share, is Exodus chapter 23, verse 14. Exodus 23, 14. Uh, the Lord says, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall, shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field. And the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So it's talking about these holy day seasons. It says three times throughout the year you're going to be able to or you're going to have to come into my house, come into the temple, the tabernacle, come into Jerusalem from wherever you've gone. You have a responsibility and a requirement to come back to give thanks, to honor me for what I've done, uh, and to glorify me, God would say. So in week number one, we looked at the Passover. Say Passover. Passover. Say Passover. Passover. So we looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we looked at the Passover with most of our focus on the Passover. This Feast of Unleavened Bread was... Uh, when the Passover lamb was slain, they were in Egypt, right? They killed the, the lamb. They put the blood over the doorpost. The angel of death comes through, kills all of the firstborn, but he passes over anybody who's covered with the blood. Then they have this feast of unleavened bread because they're going to be moving in haste. God says, look, I, I'll save you and I'll pass over you, but you got to be ready to run. you got to be ready to walk with me. This isn't going to be one of those things where you're like, thank you for saving me and I'll just kind of take my time in this whole religious thing. No, he says, either you're with me or you're not. If I've saved you, if I've passed over, wherever I'm going, you need to be with me. Let's go. He told him, when you eat this, this uh, uh, after you have the Passover, he says, you need to have your belt on, your shoes on, your, your staff ready to walk. And they take off, and it's a seven-day uh, feast of unleavened bread, right? Because the other bread would go bad as they go onto this journey into this, into this wilderness. What we really focused on was the Passover itself, and the Passover is about hope. Say hope. hope. So <clears throat> if you've been passed over, the blood of Christ has uh, allowed you to be passed over, not to die, but to have life. Uh, the Passover is about this eternal hope that one day, more than just, you know, being saved from physical death, you'd be saved from eternal death and be able to enter into the, to the gates of heaven. So we have this future hope. Every time we think about Passover, every time we receive communion, every time this season rolls around, God's saying, remember that there's more hope beyond this first particular day. What we saw last week is Jesus is 12 years old. His family comes in the holiday season every year up until the time he's 12 and they go into the temple and they give their offering and they remember the Passover and they sing a couple songs and then they go on back home. At 12 years old, Jesus says, you know what, this, this holiday season is not enough, enough for me. It's supposed to be a holy day season. This isn't about coming into the church once a year, giving an offering and remembering what God did back in Egypt. He says, this is supposed to be pointing towards future hope. He looks at the church and says, why are we not talking about the reason we have Passover? Why are we not remembering that there's more hope to come from this? So he's 12 years old and he's having this conversation. It's the same conversation I have with a lot of people in our church. We don't just come in here to sing a couple songs. 
We don't just come in here to remember what God has done in the past. We come in here to, to anticipate what he's going to do in the future. Somebody say amen. amen. If the best of what God has done in your life is behind you, what a waste. <laughs> what a waste. There's future hope. There's more he wants to do. If you've been healed, there's more healing. If you've been forgiven, there's more to be forgiven of. Amen. If you've been used to minister to three and then 15 youth, well, then maybe there's going to be 50 youth. Amen. Who knows what God is going to do? Jesus tells them, listen, this Passover was pointing to the arrival of the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. Anybody remember that from last week? John the Baptist is baptizing people and he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. More than just a Passover lamb, right? It's the lamb of God that takes away sin. More than just a one-time exodus out of Egypt, we get the forgiveness and never have to go to hell. Centuries later... Jesus does what no other lamb could do. Every year for hundreds of years, they keep slaying these lambs at Passover and saying, you know, God forgive us again this year for all the stuff that we've done did and it was bad, but, but thank you for this lamb and here it is, right? Jesus comes on the scene and says, this lamb, this one takes away the sin of the world. You never have to do another lamb. You never have to be forgiven again. You've been washed all the way clean. So last week for me was a, was a big week. It, it reminded me of the goodness of God. It reminded me that we're in the middle of an amazing plan that he has for all of our lives. And that forgiveness is, is something that uh, I don't think most people really understand. I know I didn't really understand it when I got saved. I felt it. But there's a difference between knowing that God is real and feeling that you're saved and really understanding what he's done um, to provide that salvation. So today in week number two of our series, we're going to look at first fruits. And we're going to look at Pentecost, again, with most of our focus on, on the day of Pentecost. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, and an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread, nor parched grain, nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So, first fruits, I appreciate what, what Gary had to say about offering. Uh, bring your first fruits, fruits into the storehouse. He said he's worshiping his God, is telling him, listen, I don't want your second fruits. I don't want your last fruits. I don't want your mid fruits. He says, I want your first fruits. I gave you my only begotten son, the firstborn of many. I want the same thing back from you. And that's what we're talking about this morning. First fruits are what we receive from God. God says, listen, I took you out of Egypt, but when I take you into the promised land, whatever you receive from there, it's mine. That wasn't yours. I gave you that land. That marriage isn't yours. I gave you that marriage. Those kids aren't yours. You don't know how to make babies. You think you're doing something, but I'm the one that breathes life. Whatever you have, it comes from me, he says. He says, when you go into the land and you begin to receive from that land, give back to me the first that you get. Why? We give it to him freely because we know where it comes from and we do it in faith. When I say that to give God of your first fruits is an act of faith, what I mean is, imagine you planted a, a vineyard or an orange grove or whatever your favorite thing to plant is. You've got all these tomatoes. And the first one pops out. To take the first tomato or orange or apple, as soon as you see one and say, I'm going to take this one and give it to the Lord, what you're saying is, not only do I know who gave it to me, God, I wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for you, but on top of that, I have faith that there's going to be more tomatoes. I have faith that there's going to be more apples. I have faith that something is coming after this. And God says, that's what I want from you. I want you to know that I gave it to you, and I want you to know that I'm going to give you more. When we don't give to God of our first fruits, what we're saying is we don't really believe that you gave it to us and we don't really believe that there's more to come. Hebrews 11:4, 4, 
you have this first, first time that we uh, really hear about uh, tithing or offering is with Cain and Abel. One offering is accepted, one isn't. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Right? So, Cain and Abel come to give an offering. Abel's offering is accepted because it was given in faith. He's saying, Lord, I know that you gave all this to me, and I know that you have more for me after this. Very important to understand as you look at the holy days and what God was doing with his people when he has this day of Pentecost, then he has this unleavened bread, and then he has this first fruits of giving back to God what you've now received after your deliverance. Leviticus 23, again, verse 15 says... Count for yourself from the day after Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheep of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven, and they are the first fruits of the Lord. So, 50 days later, after this Passover, after this Feast of, of uh, Unleavened Bread, you have what's called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It means 50, or it means 50 days after the Passover, right? Last week we looked at what the Passover was, explained it to you again a little bit this morning. It's also called the Feast of Weeks because it's seven full weeks. Those of you who have been in this church for a while, we know that seven represents the number of completion. So seven weeks after the Passover, you get this day or this season or this celebration of Pentecost. So take you back to, to the children of Israel. They're in Egypt. They're slaves. They need to be delivered. God has the Passover lamb. They come out of Egypt. Uh, they cross the Red Sea and... 40-something-odd days later, they end up in the, at the Mount of Sinai, and God's going to speak something to Moses. 50 days, or 40 days after Pentecost, 40 days, 50 days, excuse me, after Easter is what we see here. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim and come to the wilderness of Sinai, camped in the wilderness, and Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people, laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. All right. <laughs> a lot of scripture this morning, but it ain't going to stop, so pay attention. Listen, you have these people who are unsaved. They're slaves to Egypt. God says, I'm going to set you free. How am I going to do that? With blood, the blood of the Passover lamb. You have the Passover. You start this feast of, um, uh, of unleavened bread where they're going to go on this journey, right? They have crackers, not regular bread. That's going to go bad, right? On the very first day that they come out and they're eating, they have this uh, first fruits offering where they say, Lord, and they wave it. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for feeding us. And we're out the gates onto this journey, right? Uh, almost 50 days later, they arrive at their destination and you're going to have the first Pentecost where God says, Moses, come up this mountain and I'm going to give you my word. Now that you're out, now that you're set free, now that you have no idea what you're supposed to do with your freedom, you don't know how to be a nation, you don't know how to serve me, you don't know how to honor me, come up this mountain. And then he gives him literally the Ten Commandments. He says, go down the mountain and tell everybody, this is who you are and this is who I am. Gives them the word. Moses comes down the mountain, he tells everybody, listen, this is what God said, this is what you need to do, this is what you cannot do, and we're going to serve God. They say, we love his word. 
Anything you say, anything he says, that's what we're going to do. That's Pentecost. 50 days, seven, seven full weeks and one day after the Passover, you have Pentecost where they go up this mountain and they get the word of God. Right? So let's fast forward to the New Testament. That's hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. Moses leads these people. They get passed over. They end up 50 days later with the word of God in their hands. <clears throat> fast forward to the lamb that takes away the sin of the world in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, getting closer to where we are. It says, this is all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus is crucified. He's shed his blood as the Passover lamb. He's resurrected. And then for 40 days, he walks around on earth talking to people. And what is he talking about? He's talking to them about the kingdom that's to come. A future hope. So after 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom, verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So listen, Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's crucified. He's raised from the dead. He spends 40 days uh, with them, talking to them, teaching them. He tells them, just wait here. You're going to be filled with the Spirit. And then he takes off into the clouds. The scripture goes on to say that they're just standing there because they don't know what to do. Looking up, and these angels appear and say, stop looking up. Go do what he told you to do. He's coming back. Don't worry about it. So how many days has it been since the Passover in this story? Just a, just a couple over 40, right? Because he had to be raised from the dead, and then he spent 40 days walking around. So it's just a couple days uh, over 40. And then when is Pentecost supposed to come? How many days? 50 days. So we should be expecting something to happen, right? Somebody say amen. amen. I wonder how many Pentecosts each of us have missed because we weren't expecting it. I wonder how many times God has planned something for you, positioned you for it, delivered you from something and then in the completion of weeks maybe seven weeks 49 50 days he had something ready for you and we just were oblivious what day might today be for you is it day 20 day 21 is it day 49 is it day 50 should you be expecting something before you leave here this morning or is it just talk why so much scripture today let me tell you 40 plus days Jesus ascends into the heavens. They're standing there waiting for something to happen. What do they do? They do what we do. They gather. They pray. They worship. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Many of us, if you're a Christian, you know Acts chapter 2, but I don't know if we know it like this. I'm reading this, and I'm praying through this, and I'm saying, like, how many times have I read when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and I didn't really understand what was happening. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, say all, all, with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Iliamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So they're amazed and perplexed because they weren't anticipating what was already promised to be coming. Why are there so many people from every nation, every race, every tribe there? Because they're in town for the holy day season. It was just what they do every year. We all have to come back because God said in Exodus that these three times a year we have to make it back. And this is the second of the three. So here we are in the city, but not expecting God to move. Not expecting the spirit to do something special. Not understanding that the Passover lamb was just slain and 50 days later is going to be Pentecost and something is on the way. Amen. 50 days after the Passover lamb was slain, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is sent into those who believe in Jesus and are following Jesus and the church is birthed. That's the birth of the church that you belong to right now. The only church that exists are people who believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior and the Passover lamb who was slain for us, and those people get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only church. There's not multiple churches. There's not multiple ways to God. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God except through me. He says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is it. This is the family that you become a part of. Last week when we had baptisms, we were baptizing people into this family. But what church do we belong to? What do we think of when we hear Pentecost or Pentecostals? <gasps> I remember we had a series, I can't remember the title right off the top of my head, but we were talking about like reclaiming words that means something in the church, reclaiming things like the rainbow that God says is, a, is an identifi identifying mark of my promises that I've made to my people, and other people have hijacked the rainbow, other people have hijacked certain words that belong to God. Pentecostal has become a bad word in the church, and it's the best word that's ever existed in the church. Without Pentecost, there is no church. Amen. What God do you serve? What word do you read? What are you anticipating God to do because of promises that he's made? So first, on the first Pentecost after the Passover, what do we get? We get the word of God. We get the law, but it's the word of God, right? A regular lamb is slain for all these people. They come out of Egypt. 50 days later, God moves and he goes up a mountain, meets with God, Moses does, and he comes down with the law, with the word of God. Then you fast forward to Jesus, the last lamb, right? The last real Passover. And 50 days later, what comes down? The Spirit of God. You have the Word and the law, and you have the Spirit of God. There's a lot of Christians who live by the law. This is what you should do. This is what you can't do. I'm a better Christian than you because I do this and you don't do this. I'm a better Christian than you because I don't do this and you do do this. And we live by the law. When God's saying, you need to be living by my spirit. I'm what makes you a Christian. There's no one Christian better than the next. Because either you have me and you have my spirit or you don't. Don't compare yourselves to one another. Just understand whether or not you've had Pentecost. There's these believers gathered together in a room. If you want to look at it, I love... Like I said, there's only one church, so I love every church full of believers. But this particular way that the church was birthed, it was probably a lot like this church. A warehouse that we tried to make look nice. <laughs> In the back of some industrial complex, we got escape rooms on this side, we got whatever else we got in this complex. 
It's like, that's the place I'm going to meet with God? Well, here's these group of believers huddled up in an upper room in the back streets of Jerusalem with the giant temple down the street where everybody was missing it. And that's how the church was birthed. Last week, we talked about this woman for a different reason. I want to talk about her again this morning in John chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus meets this woman um, at the well. We, we know her well. We love her. We've learned a lot from this woman. But it says in John 4, 19, the woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Say mountain. mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Right? L- listen, listen. Let me read. I just want to say that again, and then you have to pay attention. Listen to this. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. The Passover that you've been waiting for, it's here. The lamb that that you're waiting to be slain that'll forgive you forever, I'm the lamb. The one that's going to explain everything to you, I'm already explaining it to you. But I love this part for today. He says, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So with the first Passover... They got their worship, they got their word, they got their direction where? From the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain, gives them the law, gives them the word, and that's how they learned how to worship. And when Jesus is here for the last Passover, what's happening? Everybody's coming into Jerusalem to worship, because you got to get to Jerusalem. You got to get to Mecca. You got to get to the Wailing Wall. There's so many Christians that can't wait to get to to, uh, Israel so that they can put a little piece of paper into, into the Wailing Wall. I was there. And I put a piece of paper in there, and I'll tell you what, I felt God more upstairs in this little office than I did when I was at the Wailing Wall. Why? Because there's a time coming where you will neither worship him on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You know you have everything you could ever possibly want when it comes to access to God? Do you know that wherever you stand, wherever you reside, wherever you worship, wherever you pray, wherever you do those things is literally the temple of God? You have access to him like nobody's business. And Jesus is trying to tell this woman, like, look, you're missing it. You're telling me because I'm a Jew and we go into Jerusalem and you're telling me that your father's told you to worship on this mountain. He's like, a time's coming. Spirit and truth. Get over the mountain. Get over what your church looks like. Get over the name. You got to have the spirit of God and you got to have the truth of God. And that's how you encounter God. He says, the holy days are really about being filled with my spirit. Not where you go and what you wear and what kind of gifts you give. And was it, was it, you know, two tenths of an ephah? And was it the right amount of wine and four hens? And he's like, it ain't even about all that. Do you know me? Am I alive inside of you? We talked earlier about this being the season when people are more willing to come to church, and I praise God, and I thank you, and I encourage you to to invite them. But you know what it really comes down to? Can you say anything more to them than, hey, come visit my church? Is there something alive inside you that you can say, let me tell you about my Jesus? Can you say more than who you used to be and who you are today and more so what it's like to walk in a relationship with the living God? If we can't do that, I believe that God would say to you this morning, there comes a time where it's not about worshiping on a mountain and it's not about worshiping in Jerusalem. It's about being filled with my spirit in a way that is overwhelming. When we sing songs that say, fill me up, And it says, love of God, overflow. 
That's for real. It's for real. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 14. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> he says, and I'll pray to the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world sees me no more, but you'll see me because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am, I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Jesus is taking all the things of God and saying it's more than locations and external, it's internal. I want to come all the way into you like I'm all the way into the Father. The Father is all the way into me. I want you all the way into me and I want to be all the way into you. It's not going to be an external church thing about Jerusalem and mountains and how many days did you come in? Were you here on Sunday? Were you here on time? Did you make it to prayer? Did you come to Bible study on Wednesday? None of that matters if you don't have the spirit of the living God alive inside of you. And that's what Jesus has been saying. That's why he came. That's why when he was 12 years old, he's like, man, the church is tripping. Let me tell you what's really supposed to be happening. And he continued to do that until he was crucified for telling the truth. He says, the world doesn't see it, the world doesn't know it, but you know it. I love this. He says, I will not leave you orphans. When I'm reading through this, I just, I can't get over that. I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. Why does he say that? So when the children of Israel have the Passover and they come out of Egypt, they do the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they do the first fruits offering, they have 50 days and then Pentecost comes, they get the word of God, they would not follow the word of God. So you know what happened to all of them in 40 years in the wilderness? All of the fathers and all the first generation died before they could go into the promised land making all of their children what? Orphans. And what does Jesus say? I ain't gonna leave you I'm not going to die like your fathers have died in the past. I'm not going to leave you orphans. You will forever be one who has a father. You will forever be one who can be led. You will not be wandering in the wilderness. I'm going to take you all the way into the promised land and we're going together. He says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. It's a new covenant. It's a new day. So let's backtrack to this feast of first fruits. It's the beginning of blessings and the fruit of God, right? You, you, that first tomato, that first apple, whatever it is, you're like, oh God, thank you for this. I'm giving it back to you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I believe it is, he says, uh, surrender your life to God. It's a reasonable sacrifice. If you got saved, it's not hard to go to church, like if you really got saved. If you got saved, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, and you understand what your salvation is, it's not hard to give 10%. Because you know what you've received. It's like the first fruits. Oh, God, you mean all that sinning I did for 15, 25, 35, 45 years? You're telling me that now that I know who you are as the Passover lamb, you're just going to wash all that clean? You're going to forgive me for all that? You're going to come live inside of me so that I know I'm saved and it's not just something Pastor Bond told me or a song that I sang in worship? Like, you're going to live in here and tell me that I'm free? Nah, but you can't get one at $10. <laughs> Now you can't get my Sundays because football's on. Come on now, you guys know the truth. You know the truth. We can deny the truth and we can find people to deny it with us, but we know the truth. If that's real, it's easy to do certain things. <clears throat> First fruit is about saying it's real. And I believe it. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm putting my faith where my mouth is. I'm taking this first tomato that I see and I'm telling you, I believe that there's more tomatoes coming. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, the church, just like he's talking to us this morning, he says, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. So Paul's talking about being thankful. That's what first fruits are. You're thankful for what God has done. And why does he say he's thankful? He's like, 
All of you people who are saved, I always give thanks to God. Why? Because he chose you for sanctification by the spirit and by belief in the truth. He says you got to have both. You got to have the spirit of God and you got to have belief in the truth. If you don't read your Bible and you're all spirit, what is leading or guiding your spirit? And if all you do is read the Bible and there's no spirit, is there love and compassion flowing out of you? You got to have both. Amen. You have to have both. Spirit and belief, tablets and the presence. If we wonder why Maybe people aren't, aren't encouraged to, to serve God or, or to, to consider giving their life to the Lord is maybe sometimes all we have is tablets. Any of you guys met somebody that's all tablet? Like they know every word of God, but you don't feel the presence of God when you're around them. You don't feel love. You don't feel compassion. You don't feel drawn to the Son of God. And then have you ever met other people? It's like everything's God and they're just overflowing with it, but they can't answer a single question about anything biblical. I just love God and I love church and I love to worship. Well, what does he say? How do I get saved? I don't know, but you should just come with me. <laughs> Fix up your life a little bit. You know, stop doing some of the things that you're doing. That's not what it says. It says, if you just put your trust in me, you'll be saved. We need both. Say both. both. <clears throat> so the first fruits were the word, but the Pentecost is the spirit. Does that make sense? So the first fruits... He goes up the mountain and he gets the word of God. That's the beginning of like what God has to give you. And then at Pentecost, you get the spirit of God, so you get both. First fruits was that first tomato, right? You get the word of God. And then later on, when there's just tomatoes as far as you can see, that's the fulfillment, the Pentecost, the, the overflowing, the spirit of God with the word of God. Ephesians 5, verse 6. We'll stop before we get to the part that says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's also in Ephesians 5. I just have to say that because I know sometimes the lady's like, Ephesians 5, I'm, I'm allergic to that. <laughs> Ephesians 5 verse 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have, now, excuse me, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Day season, Pentecost in particular, is about being thankful for the fact that we can be filled with the Spirit of God. He says, you're not children of darkness anymore, you're children of light. You can be filled with the Spirit of God and have the fruit of the Spirit. Be grateful for that, be thankful for that. That's, our, that's my desire, I hope that that's your desire, to be filled with the Spirit. I know what the Spirit of Vaughn feels like. And I know what he tells me to do and how he wants me to live and how he wants me to act. And I know the difference between him and the Spirit of God. Is there any kind of war or battle going on in you guys on a daily basis? When you wake up, it's time to go to work, when it's time to talk to the boss, when you want to fight over if Niall's balling out or not? Like, you know, you know who's not the Spirit of God, don't you? Somebody say amen. amen. But are you fighting that good fight? Are you fighting that war? When she was upstairs and I was downstairs, I was in war. I was like, I'm going to just carry this on through the whole night. And the Spirit of God was like, no, you're not. And I was like, well, she should apologize. And he's like, well, she didn't do anything. And I was like, but I'm the pastor. <laughs> and I got to preach tomorrow. That's like an everyday thing for me in my life. 
This battle between the spirit and the flesh. What Vaughn wants to do and what the spirit of God wants to do. Even when I do the wrong thing, I'm so excited. Why? Because at least I know that God is here and he's dealing with me. Galatians 5.17 puts it this way. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit. What? First fruits? Pentecost, Spirit comes, you know you got it if you have some of these things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and we live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. So listen. The fruit of the Spirit, it says there's no law against it. At the first Pentecost, what did we get? We got the law of what you can do and what you cannot do. At the second Pentecost, you get the Spirit. He says there's no law against this. Just get the Spirit and you'll fulfill all the laws. Just get the Spirit and you'll be who God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do and you'll win the battle of the flesh versus the Spirit. If you're still losing the battle of the flesh versus the Spirit all the time, stop coming to church for the wrong reasons. Stop praying for the wrong things. Amen. Stop thinking that your behavior is just going to get better over time by practicing what the law tells you to practice. Stop all that. And every time you get into this place, hit your knees and say, Lord, fill me up. Yes. Give me your spirit. Amen. There's no law against the spirit. I want you alive inside of me. I want you to overcome. You're powerful. Your spirit is weak compared to the spirit of God. But if we don't invite the spirit of God in and we're afraid of Pentecost, nothing's going to happen. We do a Jericho walk every year because we all have areas where nothing has happened yet. And the answer is the same answer. It's been seven weeks. Tomorrow's the day where I'm going to come and give you Pentecost. I'm going to give you power. You've been waiting for it, and I have it for you. And then on that day, we don't show up to church. We don't open the Bible. We don't talk to our Father. How do we walk in the spirit, church? How do you do it? You have to receive the word of God, and then you have to have a day of Pentecost. I'm going to bring it down. In order to walk in the spirit, you have to receive the word of God. If you're not hearing the word of God and you're not reading the word of God, you will not be able to walk in the spirit, period, point blank. You know, sometimes I, I feel like... <laughs> Maybe I could be a little bit nicer in some of the things that I say, a little bit more patient in how I say it. And I listen to other people who seem much more nice and much more patient. Uh, I was telling Mary yesterday, I said, I'm trying to learn how to package things in a way that is easier to receive. And then I said, however, <laughs> <laughs> packaging just is not my thing. I just, it's just, here it is, this is the truth. Put your own little package on it and feel better about it. But <laughs> this is just the truth. So this is one of those things. This is one of those areas where I just got to tell you the truth. You cannot receive the word of God if you don't read the word of God. You cannot receive the word of God if you're not in the church and a church where the word of God is being spoken to you. I try to make it a point, And you could tell from what we're doing this morning, like, I'd much rather you hear the scriptures and the word of God than me and my word. It's going to do a whole lot more for you. Amen. If you think you can survive on 30 minutes, 40 minutes a week, you're going to wither away and die. That's like one meal a week, church. If you can survive on one meal a week, then you can survive on one service a week. You can't. It's just not going to happen. You will not walk in the spirit if you don't find a way to get into the word of God. Amen. If you don't find a way to say, you know what? Just turn on the radio. There's a ton of them. In our app, 
all of Matthew, all of Exodus, two years worth of study, it's in there. Just listen to it. Find somebody better and listen to that. Open a Bible and, and read it, please. And then a day of Pentecost. You have to have a day of Pentecost. You need to be able to look back and say, that is the time, that is the season, that is the day, that is the moment where something came into me that was not there before. If you want to walk in the Spirit, those two things, and they just go hand in hand. Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, or excuse me, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you get his Word, Pentecost is coming behind that. The same way on the, on the mountain on Pentecost, you got the word. And then on the next Pentecost with Jesus, you got the spirit. They come hand in hand. You, it'll just happen to you. I promise you. I'm not lying to you. Just start reading it. And even if you feel like you're not getting it, all of a sudden one day it'll just be like, bam, something happened. Amen. You won't even really be able to articulate it, but you'll know something happened. Amen. Jeremiah 31, says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So this is after the first Pentecost. After those days when there's going to be a new covenant, he says the Lord, he says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the first thing God is going to do uh, is give us the truth of his word in the deepest parts of our soul. He says the, the old covenant and the first Pentecost, I, all I did was give them the word. But there's something that will happen to you in the New Testament as a New Testament believer where the word of God will begin to be so good to you. He'll write it on your heart. He'll write it on your mind. It won't just be me talking about the Bible or somebody else sharing their favorite scripture or posting this. You'll like, it'll really start to be good to you. I promise you. That's what God says. I'm going to write it on your heart. You'll know that that was me inscribing what I want and how I want and why I want it that way and what I have for you. I'll write it on your heart. I'll write it on your mind. That's first, right? Receive the word of God. Second, John 20, 22, when Jesus had said this, um, he was talking to his disciples. It says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. John 20, 22 should become one of your favorite scriptures in all the Bible. That's Pentecost. Jesus says to the disciples, you've been listening to my words for three years. You've been listening to me. Every word I say is the word of God because I am God. But now... I want to give you Pentecost. Receive my spirit. He breathed on him. He said, receive my spirit. There's another level to this thing. There's something else that has to happen in your life. You know what happens when you have Pentecost? Nobody can stop you from serving God. I've seen people stop serving God because they were mad at me. I've seen people stop serving God because... A man did them wrong. I'd seen people stop serving God because they didn't like the, what they considered inactivity of God in the lives of their children. I've seen people stop serving God for a whole lot of reasons. But I'll tell you this. If Jesus Christ breathes on you and says, receive my spirit, none of that will ever happen again. You'll struggle. You'll have tough times. You'll have some ups and downs. But you will never stop serving God. And nobody will be able to get you to do that. So like I said before, stop going to church with your agenda of what you want and why you want it and how you want it and what you're willing to give and what you're not willing to give and what the temperature needs to be. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're trying to worship. You're like, ooh, what's those goosebumps? It's not right. <laughs> Ain't nobody breathed on you. I'm telling you. Let's bring it down. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If you're a Christian, just because in this life you think it's going to help you be a little bit better or have a little bit better life, he says, you're pitiful. That's not what this is about. Amen. That's not what the holy day season's about. Amen. You look a little better. You don't do drugs anymore. You're not an alcoholic anymore. You've been freed from pornography or you've been freed from some other type of addiction. He says, if that's all Christianity is to you, you're pitiful. You should just go back to the world. Ooh, tell it like it is again. I'm sorry. Help me with the packaging. <laughs> he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And he's become, listen to this. He's become the first fruits 
of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his order. Christ the firstfruit, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Listen to this. It says that the first uh, fruits, when you first see that first tomato, it says, is Christ. He's the first one to be dead and rise from the dead. And then it says that after that, there's going to be this giant field of all these tomatoes because the promise was in the first fruits, and then the fulfillment and the Pentecost is in all the rest of the fruits. We are the rest of the fruits. Those who believe in Jesus is the whole field full of other tomatoes because the first one that glorified God provided for us hope. He's risen from the dead. What else are we talking about? Why else do we go? Why else would you even begin to read this book? He's risen from the dead. It's the truth. James 1.18 says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He says after that, because of his word, you come alive and you become the first fruits from a whole bunch of other people who are going to get saved because of you. Well, how many of our lives are without fruit? We just miss Pentecost after Pentecost after Pentecost. So I'm going to close. Matter of fact, Isaiah, come up so you can hold me accountable for closing. Just play uh, Fill Me Up. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is John chapter 6, verse 16. And just think about everything that we've talked about. Last week, this week, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, this offering or this first fruits, this seven weeks or a complete season later where we have this day of Pentecost. The word comes, the spirit comes. There's this filling that has been promised and offered. There's confirmation because Christ died and rose that we are going to rise. And he's saying, I just want to get it. I just want to get it in you. I just want the scales to fall from your eyes like they fell from Paul's eyes. I want you to know what you're a part of and why you go. I want you to not be discouraged or deterred by what you may see or what you may hear. I want you to be Pentecostal and unashamed. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 16, or excuse me, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. That's verse 26 and 27. He says, you're just coming to church because you've, I've made you feel good. I filled in some holes and some gaps in your life. I held a, a failing relationship together. I kept your family safe. He says, don't labor for that food, it perishes. I have some everlasting life, some food that you don't know yet. Verse 28, he says, they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking to them about Pentecost. They're saying, Moses gave us the bread from heaven at Pentecost. 50 days after we came out of Egypt, he went up to a mountaintop. God spoke to him. There was a cloud. There was a fire by night. And God gave him his word. He gave us the bread, not only the manna that was falling down, but the, the bread, the word of God. And we eat it, and it's so good to us. And Jesus says, that was just the first fruits. That was just the beginning. He says, I'm the bread of life. You got to eat of me. By doing that, I'll come live inside of you and you'll have my spirit. You'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. You'll never be deterred again. You'll never be overwhelmed again. You'll never want to quit again. I'll hold you in my hand. I'll be not only with you, but in you. So what I want to pray for this morning is for, number one, a desire to be filled. If you don't want to be filled, it's a slim chance that you will be. <laughs> if you're not looking for Pentecost, there's a slim chance that it's going to just fall upon you. God knows what he's doing, and he knows who he's sending things to. He knows who he's spoken to that's listening and anticipating. He's God, and the Spirit of God came from heaven, and where did it go? Into one little upper room. It could have been unleashed all over the world, but he said, just these who really receive my word and really want something from me. And he gave it to them. And then there was more fruit and more fruit after that. But if you're here this morning and you can really ask yourself, you know, have you had Pentecost? Has the Spirit of God come into your little room and filled you up? I want to pray for that. I want to pray for... Uh, receiving of the word of God. It's spirit and truth. Jesus said, the time is coming where you will neither worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. God is seeking those to worship him in spirit and truth. I want to pray for people to be truth consumed. The word of God is truth. There's no other truth like it. There's no other word that can sustain you. There's no other it's read Proverbs. It's 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 worth its weight in gold and then some. He says sell everything and buy this. He says, next time somebody asks you, if you're stranded on an island, what you want, say this. <laughs> he says, there's nothing like it. So I want to pray for those two things. But before, I want to pray for, for salvation. If you're here and you haven't been passed over, you're not covered by the blood of Jesus, he says, it's a simple decision. Give your life to me. Let me be the Passover lamb for you. You don't have to do anything. Don't fix yourself. Don't try to get better. Don't try to look like you deserve salvation. He says, none of that matters. All that matters is you know you're a sinner and you know that you cannot make up for your sin and you want to be forgiven. Anybody this morning, I know I'm a sinner and I've never been forgiven and I can't make up for it, but I want to be saved. Anybody? Can't package it any better than that for you. Anybody this morning? It's just the truth. It'll always be the truth. Amen. Amen. So for the rest of us, you can stand. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to open the altars. If you need prayer in either, either of those two areas, number one, that you would receive the first Pentecost, the Word of God, and number two, that you would receive the second Pentecost, the Spirit of God, that you would truly be, from this day forward, even more so than you have in the past, one who worships the Father in spirit and truth. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the holy day season. We thank you that when many others are blinded by trees and, and turkeys and whatever the, the TV shows us, Lord, when we walk into uh, uh, the, the stores, Lord, that we hear the music and something is stirred inside of us and, and we feel this happiness about the holiday season, Lord God, we pray that it would be much, much deeper for us, Lord, that we would see these as holy days, Lord. That when others are trying to figure out how to budget to buy this thing and to buy that thing, Lord, and, and how much food do we need and who can be at this house and how many stops that we need to make, let us, Lord, please help us, God, to be able to say, Lord, is it, is it Pentecost 
Has it been seven weeks? Is this the season? Is this the time? Is there something that we should be anticipating and waiting for, Lord God? If so, fill us up. Here we are in an upper room, Lord. It may not look that way to our friends. It may not look that way to our family. It may not look that way to our co-workers, Lord God. But we are, everywhere we go is an upper room where we come to be with you, where we wait for something to be delivered to us from on high, Lord. Lord, for those that would, would open their hearts and open their minds this morning, Lord, would you just flood them with a fresh anointing? Would you flood them with a desire and a passion and an ability to receive your word? That you would write it on their hearts and their mind, Lord God, that it would run deep within them, your truth of your word. And then, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you pour it out till it overflows? Would it be undeniable, God, that we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we will never turn back? We will never be discouraged or be deterred, Lord God. That we would give you our first fruits, Lord, willingly, Lord, in faith, knowing that there's more to come, Lord. We love you and we thank you for our time together this morning. We love you and we thank you for the gifts that you poured out into our lives, our children. You're so good to us, Lord. But the fact that you died and are the first fruits, Lord, risen from the dead is all that really matters. Have your way in this holy day season, Lord. Open our eyes that we could see. Thank you, Jesus. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.